Today we're going to talk about a text that's very important to my heart. It's uh, very formative in my life. It's a text that comes from Philippians chapter 1, verses 9 through 11. Now in this text, we have uh, a Paul who is in chains in Rome writing to a church who had been extremely generous to him. He says in this text that, that, that he loves them, he longs for them, he longs to be back with them again. I'm going to go ahead and uh, start off this morning by praying for you the same prayer that Paul has for the Philippian church. Will you bow your heads and pray with me? Father God, we come here this morning and I don't know what's going on in everyone's life. They don't know what's going on in my life. But Lord, what we know this is that you long for us and you pursue us and that you love us. And Lord, I pray that this morning that we don't leave jaded and sarcastic, but we, fill, we leave filled by your love and your grace and your mercy. Lord, this is our prayer this morning, that your love may abound here at RCC more and more in knowledge and insight, so that we may be able to discern what is best and what is pure and what is blameless until the day that you come to visit us, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Do you remember when you, first, when you got your first smartphone? I remember when, when I remember it was in, in February of 2011. It was uh, Verizon Wireless for the first time was offering the iPhone on their platform. I ordered it at the, at the begin, beginning of, or end of January, and I had to wait, wait three or four weeks in order to get this phone in the mail. Now, I was watching on my computer trying to figure out when it was actually going to come in, when it was actually going to ship, and my wife knew this, so she decided that she was going to play a little practical joke on me. She knew that I was watching my email for the moment in which it was going to, to come in the mail, and she stood by the mailbox waiting until it came in, and she intercepted it before I could get it, and she took it to work and to where I couldn't get it when I wanted to get it. It, it, it. This is my wife. She's just, she's just a jokester like that. But I, I remember when I finally got my hands on this device. I mean, some of, some of you are in, that, are in that experience right now where, where, where all of a sudden you got the, I mean, if we think about smartphones and how much they've changed just the way that we've, we do daily life. I, I, I got this device and all of a sudden I wasn't just an email and talk on the phone guy. I was an iMessage and FaceTime and, and, uh, and, and Facebook and Twitter. I became, uh, I became uh, adapt to all these different vehicles to have conversations with other people. Now people could get a hold of me at any time of the day. And I was really excited about that at the time. But now we realize that anybody can get a hold of us at any time of day, right? But I, in the, after I, I received that iPhone, I, I, I spent time getting an intimate knowledge of what this phone had to offer. So much so that I decided I was going to start being paperless, I took five months to really get all my phone numbers loaded in there. I, I started putting lesson plans on there for, 
that I was going to teach. I, I, I started uh, doing, you know, all my, all my mapping and, and everything was connected to this iPhone. Now, in July of 2011, I took a trip with a bunch of high school students to a CIY MOVE conference, a Christ and Youth MOVE conference in Holland, Michigan. And I was going to take my new best friend uh, on, on the trip, and I was going to be completely paperless for the trip. And, and, uh, and I was really excited about this, and the day came for it to actually happen. And there was a... Uh, we, at the time, we lived in a township called Stuckey Township, right outside uh, of uh, Belleville, Illinois. Now, no offense, Dennis, all right? But, but somebody with your last name thought it was wise to go ahead and flush the, uh, the fire hydrant about 25 yards north of my house. Now, at the time, I was living in a parsonage, and this parsonage had, um, uh, it had some mine subsidence issues, and they were working on moving us out of that parsonage. But in the basement, it had a wall that had a gap in it about that thick. And you could go down to it, and you knew right underneath our bedroom, there was this wall completely collapsing. So it wasn't a good thing when this fire hydrant was completely flushed, and then it just completely flushed into my basement. That day that we were leaving for the trip, I went down into the basement, and I took my, my new fancy iPhone, and I decided to call the uh, chairman of the elders and let him know what was going on, because I had to leave for this trip uh, with uh, with with a bus full of, of youth, and, uh, and after I hung out, uh, up the phone and started to get the sump pump uh, going and everything, um, I put the phone in my pocket, and I went upstairs and uh, started to get all my luggage together. Now, about a half hour later, after I was ready to go, I went ahead and l- reached in my pocket to check the time, and I found that that phone wasn't there. So, so I went to the basement and I and I uh, and I looked I looked around and I, I realized that there was this little tiny hole about the size of an iPhone that was in my pocket, um, right exactly where I put it, and my phone was submerged in about two or three feet of water, and for about a half hour. So immediately I put it in rice and got on the bus to go on the trip. I was paperless with a plan, but no way to access it. Have you ever been there? Have you ever been in a situation where something that you relied on, someone that you relied on, maybe it's a spouse or maybe it's a coworker or maybe it's a friend, just let you down? And ever since that spot, you've had trust issues. I think all of us have trust issues. You, you see, it, for, for whatever reason, we, we get into relationships and then we have these problems and then it starts to affect the way that we trust other people in our lives. And our text today, it starts with the concept of love. And I tell you, if there's one concept that in our society that we have issues with, it's the concept of love. Now, there's so many movies that are out there that focus on love and how romantic it is and how it's going to go to a happily ever after. And so many of us have, have gone into 
we have jumped headfirst into love with a very optimistic spirit, and for whatever reason, it didn't go, out, go the way that we thought it was going to go, and we turn out a little jaded, a little sarcastic. And when we actually come in, come in contact with the real deal, which is Jesus Christ, we, we approach him cautiously. We, we stand on the sidelines. We kind of dip our toe in the water. We, we don't necessarily want to go all in to be a follower of Jesus Christ. Why? Because we, we're, we're a little skeptical. We're, we're, we're a little worried that it's not going to turn out the, the right way. We're a little worried that our dream is going to become a nightmare, so we approach the throne of God without confidence, but with skepticism. Now, I don't know where you are today. I really don't. I don't know where you are when it comes to love. Some of you might be in what, what Bambi calls the Twitter-pated stage, where you're just kind of uh, really, re- really, uh, f- you're just kind of flying on air, and you're just kind of walking around. Some of you might be in the situation where things are just down in the dumps. I don't know where you are today, but here's a test if you don't know where you are to see how jaded and how uh, how many walls that you've put around your heart. I'm going to put up a scripture. It comes from Song of Solomon, and it says this. Many waters cannot quench love. Rivers cannot sweep it away. If one were to give all the wealth in one's house for love, it would be utterly scorned. How do you feel when you read that passage? Now, this is, a, this is a passage talking about love between a man and a woman that many waters cannot quench love. One of the most powerful uh, forces in nature, which is water, and I know that firsthand because I had an iPhone that was completely saturated by it, All right, cannot sweep away love. It, it, if we were to give all of our wealth and all of our house and everything that we have for love, it would be utterly scorned. We, we would sell everything that we have and then we would try to purchase love and, 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 and uh, the person who owns love would just stick their nose up at it. Now, what is your opinion when it comes to this passage? Are you inspired? Are you skeptical? Are you curious? Or are you just downright angry? Now, if you've put some walls up this morning when it comes to love, I'm just going to ask you to take those down for a moment. I'm just going to ask you to to jump in with me, to jump into this text, to jump into God's love, to go... uh, to completely saturate yourself with who God is this morning because we're going to talk about who he is and his love and how that plays out in in your daily life. Can you jump in with me this morning? Our text says this. It starts out this way. And this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more. We need to jump in and we need to go with the flow. Now, one of the, the greatest natural uh, phenomenons that I've ever seen is I went, I went to Niagara Falls. And in Niagara Falls, you, you, you see the, the water rushing down to the uh, American Falls and then to the Horseshoe Falls right around the corner. And you just have 
pounds and pounds and pounds of water that are just beating down on, on the water below. It's such a powerful and powerful force. And if you get in contact with that powerful force, the powerful force of Jesus Christ, you will have no option than, than just to go with the flow. You see, and Paul in this text, he wants us to, for our love to abound more and more. Now the concept here is that our love would um, that our love would be something that becomes our being, that it is so much a part of us that we cannot help but show it. Now, millennials are really familiar with this concept of being, right? Now, now follow with me really, really quick. Now, and this can be seen when we look at different ways in which uh, fast food chains have changed their, their statement uh, over the years, their slogan, in order to reach out to certain audiences. Now, if you grew up in the 80s or you were familiar with the 80s, you kind of uh, resonate with that, um, we'll go through a few of our Burger King uh, slogans. Burger King in the 80s, it had a statement, and I'm going to say the first part of it, and you can go ahead and finish it up. Have it your way. You guys are good. All right, in the 90s, it switched its statement to say, your way right away. Okay? Your way right away. And then in 2014, it completely changed their statement from have it your way or your way right away to be your way. Now, some of us aren't all that familiar with it. It's probably because of Netflix and we don't watch commercials anymore. But, the, but this is, is moving from just an experience that you have with a fast food restaurant temporarily by eating a burger to all of a sudden this becomes a way of life. Taco Bell has a similar uh, set of statements. See how good you are with this one. Um, in the 80s, it was made to order, run for the border. In the 90s, they, they changed theirs to a very creative statement. It, it, went from, it, it started out as, think outside the bun. But now, in 2012, they changed their statement to a statement of being, something, a statement of, ha of living the Taco Bell or Burger King lifestyle, and their statement now is live mas, or live more. They want, somehow, they want, the person who goes and shops at their restaurant, that eats at their restaurant, not only to see it as a partial, a part of their life, but something that is an integral, integral part of their being, like who they are. And this is exactly what Paul is talking about here, is he wants your love to abound more and more. It needs to be a statement of being, of who you are, more so than just what you do every once in a while. It, the concept is here that, that you, your love may abound more and more. Now, have you ever eaten dinner with a toddler? It's a little messy, right? It, whenever I, I, I eat with my, I have a five-year-old named Reagan. She's my, my youngest daughter. And every once in a while, she will ask this question to me. She will say, Daddy, can, can I fill up my own cup? Right? And I'll look at her, and the process will go through my head, and I'll tell you, whenever she asks that question, just everything that has happened in the past just immediately goes to the forefront of my mind. When 
for whatever reason, I left the milk on the table or the juice on the table, and she decided it was wise to fill up her own cup. She doesn't just fill up her cup like I do. I mean, I have a way in which I fill up cups. It's like 75 to 80% full so that I know that I can kind of walk around a little bit. I can dance and boogie if I need to. I, I, I just have, have, I fill up the cup about 80 to 75%, but with a toddler, they take the juice and it's just like... everywhere, right? It's all over the table. It saturates everything on the table, and you have the dog underneath the table trying to lick up all the milk and and the juice and everything. This is how it is. And when when Paul says in this that his hope for us as a church, his hope for us as people of God is to be those who are so amazingly saturated by his love that it is like a toddler just pouring it out all over the table, making a huge and utter mess. He wants our love to be, he wants our cup to be so amazingly full that it flows out into our relationships with other people. But so often, it's not that way. So often, what, what, what do we have? We have a cup, and we, we, take, we look at, at water and juice and milk, and, and, and we're just like, you know, I'm hungry. I don't feel loved. I don't feel cared about. So we take our cup, and if anybody tries to get it, it's like our, our dog after he just got fed, right? It's, you know, very territorial, just, just right around there, not, not wanting anybody to touch the love that God has for you because you don't have a whole lot of it right? And, you, and there's not a whole lot in your life, and there's not a whole lot in your family, so you, you just have to, to be very territorial about it. But what Paul is talking about here is that he doesn't want us to be greedy with our love. He wants us to be extremely generous, just like a toddler is with their own juice. Our mission here at RCC is to make new and growing disciples, now, a couple months ago, I was hired uh, to be the discipleship minister. Now, a, di- a disciple of Jesus Christ is basically just a follower of Jesus Christ. It's like an apprentice, someone who is a pupil, someone who learns after Jesus, after, uh, wants to pattern their life after Jesus. Now, a lot of times people ask me, well, how do I become a disciple and the, the first book that you go to is the Bible, and uh, if you don't understand the Bible or how it's set up or whatever, I have a tool that I like to give out to people. It's called Multiply, okay? I, it's called Multiply because it has this exponential effect where if you go through this book and you start to understand how the Bible is set up, what God's plan is for your life, and then you, you, you share that with someone else, and then they share that with someone else, and they share that with someone else, and there's questions and all that kind of stuff in here, then what you have is an exponential effect to where your love and your knowledge and your, uh, of Jesus Christ just overflows in the life of the church, and you become a pupil, a disciple of Jesus Christ, and the fruit just starts overflowing flowing in your life. We need to have this exponential effect. But when it really comes down to Jesus, this morning I asked everybody to jump in, to jump into the waters. Really the only way that you can truly know what love is, is if you start doing what love does. 
And that is exemplified by the character of Jesus Christ. So Paul goes on here and he says this. He says that your love may abound in knowledge and depth of insight. Now, so often in the church, we get really focused on this idea of knowledge, of having a knowledge of Scripture to where we can parse all the Greek, we know all the geographic locations, everything is really, uh, you have that really together. And even people can be put on pedestals because they have such a great knowledge of Scripture. Now, the knowledge here that, that, uh, that, uh, Paul is talking about is not academic knowledge, it's experiential knowledge. It's the idea that, uh, that where Paul is putting process over product. Now, I'm not sure if you're familiar with this, this concept. It's, it, it, when I learned it well when I, was, uh, when I was doing some substitute teaching in a high school over in Danville, Illinois. I, I went into, I, that morning, about 5 a.m., I, I got a phone call. It said, I want you to teach an advanced calculus class. Now, I love math. Math was my favorite subject in school growing up, but when they asked me to do a, an advanced calculus class, and I knew going to Bible college and being a history major that uh, I only had math for elementary school majors. That was the only math class that I had in college. That's all I needed to graduate. And so I was going on all this past knowledge from, from, from a while back and trying to teach these kids calculus. But I had an advantage over them. You see, I had the teacher's notes and the teacher's notes had the whole equation that we were supposed to work on in that class that day, and I had the answer. And I go into the class, and I'm thinking, you know what? I, I have the answer to this equation, so I'm one step ahead of everyone else. Little did I know that everybody in the class also had the answer to the equation. Because when you deal with higher forms of math, you're really trying to, to work on process rather than product right? Because you're working on PEMDAS, parentheses, exponents, uh, you know, uh, was it multiplication, division, uh, addition, subtraction, right? You're working on how to process your way through this in order to get the right answer, okay? Now, Paul is talking here. He wants you to focus on doing what is right and not focus on the end product, Okay? So often we focus on the end product. We look forward to heaven. We look, we, we look forward to what to being with Christ one day, and we forget completely about the process that God wants to take us through in the meantime. Okay? So when Paul prays for the Philippian church, he really wants everyone to focus in on being right, being good doing what is right, and experiencing the love that God has for us in our relationships. He goes even further, and he says this, that I not only want you to know that experientially, I not only want you to process your way through what it means to love, but I also want you to be able to practice that. That's why he uses this word, depth of insight. I want you not only to have knowledge, but I want you to have depth of insight. Now, depth of insight simply means tactical tactical uh, pursuit. It means this idea of tact. Now, when I was about 15 years old, I was learning how to drive, okay? And I was, I, I, uh, I asked for the keys from my dad, and, and I, I got in the, in the vehicle, and I was about to pull it 
out of the driveway so I could play basketball. Simple enough task. Now, when I asked my dad to do that, he had to do a couple things before he came out, and I just went out, and, and I thought, well, you know, I don't need to wait for him. I can go ahead and do this myself. But when I got in the driver's seat, I was extremely nervous because I really hadn't done this much before, and, uh, and little did I know, I didn't see my dad coming up to the side of the vehicle and opening the door right as I was switching it into reverse and pressing on the gas. And he said something that sounded a lot like in my, in my, my, my head. And, and I was so scared that I, I just floored it on the gas. And he was holding on to, to the, uh, the side of the vehicle. And we just, he, he was just skiing on, on concrete all the way back out into the street. Now that's what happened. That, that was the knowledge of what happened, okay? But, but, but after that happened, I, I calmed myself down. I, I sat there. I, I, I cleaned up all the urine that was, uh, that was all over the car because I was scared about a situation. And, and then I went inside. I went inside uh, to talk to my dad, and, I, and the thought came to my head. Oh, man, this is wisdom right here. This is wisdom right so i go i go in there i knock on the bathroom door and through you know him taking out all these rocks and pebbles and completely had the skin ripped off of the bottom of of his feet i decided it was a great time to tell him this hey dad you're gonna laugh about this one of these days and I, I see, I knew, I knew that he was a loving father. But you know what? That knowledge was put into practice just at the wrong time. It was just, it was way too soon. Now it's quite possible that my dad is listening online uh, to this sermon right now, and he's still saying too soon. Just way, way too soon, son. I mean, it's been over twenty years, but way too soon. Okay. But in order to know. God and to know his, uh, his, his promises and to know the love that he has for us, he wants us to be so intimately in touch with who he is that we know how to tactically put that into practice. And that's what he's talking about here for knowledge and depth of insight. In Philippians 2, it says this, it says, in your relationships with one another. Now, Jesus was the master tactician. Okay, In your relationships with one another, I want you to have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. Now, if you want to know what it means to be loved, to work out what it is to be loved, you need to do this. Who, being in the very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used for his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing, taking on the nature of a servant. Now, if you want to know what it means to love somebody, there's a very easy equation. Now, I've talked about mathematics a lot this morning. I'm going to do it again. If you want to, if you want to love somebody, you take your position, you minus your pride, you, you, you add compassion, and then you have power. Let me say that again. You, you have a position. You subtract your pride. You add compassion, and then you have power. Because that's exactly what Jesus did in this text. Although he had the position, he was in all nature God. He did not consider equality with God something to use for his own advantage. 
But instead, he humbled himself and made him a serv- himself a servant. Why? Because he knew that that would be the most beneficial thing for us, and that's love. So if you ever need to practice what it means to be loved, then all you need to do is you need to insert your position and all the rights that come with that position and subtract them and drop them out. And then you need to have compassion necessary for that position and you will have immense power because of that equation. We'll talk about that a little bit later, but what we really need to do is we need to stop asking what we have the right to do, and that's something that we just do in our culture, is that we say, I have the right to do this, I have the right to do this because of my position, because of my, my uh, citizenship, because of this, I have the right to do this. We need to stop asking what we have the right to do and start doing what is right. Paul says it like this, so that you may become May, may be able to discern what is best and may be, may be pure and blameless until the day of Christ Jesus. Let me read that one more time. So that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless until the day of Christ Jesus. See, he wants us not only to, uh, to go with the flow and to be in the know, but he wants us to be equipped to go. And only by knowing who Jesus is, only by knowing the equation in which he, lives, he lived out his existence here on earth, can we understand what it means to be the embodiment of love as his church. Now, there's often times that, uh, that I have a really good friend, his name is Darren, and he will come over to my house, and he will look at my tool bench, and he will say this, in a very sarcastic way with a smirk on his face, he'll say, there's some nice shiny tools you got there. <laughs> and I know exactly what he's talking about, because he is a handyman, he's an electrician, he worked construction, he's, he's done all kinds of different things, and when he sees a bunch of, of uh, shiny tools, it just makes him laugh. Because that's not what tools are for. Tools are to be used. They're not to just be put on a shelf and be, have the illusion of being used. Now, if we want to be, uh, test it, to be able to discern and approve what is good, we need to be practicing what is good. We need to be using our tools and our talents and our abilities uh, in, in our daily lives. Now, maybe you, you can understand this, this a little bit better when we talk about uh, uh, bring it into a, 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 a practical situation. I was reading a journal online. It was, ta- it was a bunch of firemen that were discussing this idea of what's more important, credentials or competence. Okay? Now, I want you to think about that for a second. If you're a boss and you're trying to hire somebody, what's more important to you, credentials or competence? And I think that we could really get in a whole lot, a big debate here about what's more important because those who have credentials would say credentials. Those who have competence would say, well, I'm competent, but I don't have the credentials, right? In all reality, having both is the best situation, but what we really need to do as Christians, if we're really going to grow in knowledge and depth of insight, is we really need to focus on competence 
before credentials. We need to let credentials be the product of our competence. Now, today we have a lot of graduates that we're going to see up on the screen, and right now they are in the uh, Family Life Center having breakfast. And my advice for anyone who is graduating high school or uh, uh, going into college is to not focus on grades. Do not focus on the, the, the end product of whether or not you're an A or a B student. Focus on learning the material. Because we know if anyone is a teacher in here, you would much rather have a student that is focused on learning the material than one who is focused on grades, right? Because the one who is focused on grades has a little bit of an entitlement concept where they're just like, I did what was necessary in order to get that grade. And the teacher says, well, what did you do what was necessary in order to learn the material? We need to focus as Christians on living out the process of Christianity and being shaped by his character and let the, the, Jesus Christ and his character be the, be the sum of all of our, our life's work. Jesus talks about it this way. There's a group of people in the New Testament that are called Pharisees. Now, Pharisees were really focused on outside being the credentialed people. They, they dressed like it. They, they, when they walked on the street, they, they, people knew who they were. They were the people that needed that you go to to ask questions from. They were the credentialed individuals. But Jesus looks at them because they're so focused on outward appearance and not on actually learning and knowing who God is, God, Jesus calls them white-washed tombs. I'm going to say that again, white-washed tombs. Now, think of that picture for a second, where you actually go to a cemetery and you pull something out of the ground, you pull the, the uh, casket out of the ground, and you just start scrubbing it and get all the dirt off of it, and then you paint it, and you make it look really, really nice and all that stuff, but what you realize is inside is still a dead body. It's not alive by the love of Jesus Christ. It is a dead body. And that's exactly what happens when we focus on credentials rather than, than the process that God is taking us through in this life. And if you do that, if you, if you go with the flow, you're in the know, you're equipped to go, you will definitely reap what you sow. And, and I know th these are just corny, but hopefully you can remember them. Um, say them with me again. You can jump in and go with the flow so that you can be in the know, you can be equipped to go, and you can reap what you sow. We need to make influence the product of our character. And that's exactly what Jesus did. You see, Jesus, he, even though he was in the very nature God, he did not see equality with God, something to be taken advantage of. Instead, he became a servant. We pick up in, in, in Philippians 2 this way. He says, he made himself nothing by taking on the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and becoming obedient to death, even death on the cross. Now this past week, I've been trying to figure out what that looks like in our daily life. So often, we come to church and we think, okay, well we have God who became man, who became nothing in order to, uh, to love us into eternity. 
Okay, well, what does that have to do with me? Let's take this same equation and apply it to our lives. Position minus pride plus compassion equals power, all right? Equals the power of love. All right, think about this for a second. You're the breadwinner of a family, okay? And there are rights that come with as the breadwinner of the family. These come up in arguments all the time between couples, right? I'm the breadwinner. I make all the money. I bring home the bacon. I'm going to bring home the bacon. Uh, you know, you, you cook it up, and I'm going to sit in front of the television, all right? That is the right of someone who maybe is the breadwinner of the family. However, if we take pride out of the, uh, out of the equation, what do you have? You ha- and you add compassion you have a husband or a wife that comes home and instead of just sitting in front of the TV, what do they do? They flirt with their spouse, they engage with their kids, they, they help with the homework, they help make dinner. You have compassion that wins the day in this situation and you have a position and compassion and that equals a very powerful, loving relationship. Let's keep going. If you have, if you, you have the right Okay? Now, many people in this community are, are, have pretty good jobs. Now, because of that, you have the right to buy the best house that you can possibly buy. And in doing so, you, you, you are exercising your right to do so. All right? Now, pride says that you buy the best house, you buy the best stuff so that you look great and you are not trying to keep up with the Joneses. You are the Joneses, right? That's what pride says. All right? But, but if you subtract pride from the equation and you insert compassion, you become a person who decides to live on less so that you can be more generous. And that's a powerful, loving relationship. Now let's put it in a work situation. You're at work and you have a position, but you want a different position. And someone gets that position over you. Right? That's a humbling experience. So pride says that you retreat back and that you make life hard on this person who just got that position and you don't help them out with your knowledge and you just kind of sit back and watch them fail and then make fun of it fun of them when they do so because that's that's what we do a lot of times now now if you subtract pride and put compassion in that situation you become you and you uh, volunteer to become a part of the uh, the committee uh, the transition committee and make everyone work together so that you can have a powerful healthy loving working relationship what does this look like when it comes to uh, marriage? Now, I've done one marriage analogy, but I'm going to do another one because I think this is where we struggle the most, right? When, when it comes to marriage, we have the right, because we're all kind of morons, okay? We have the right to complain about our spouse. We do. We have the right to say, say the truth about our spouse and say things that they did that were ridiculous, and we have, have the right to do that, okay? We have the right to do it. But if we take pride out of the situation and we insert compassion, then what we decide to do is we are going to build up our spouse in public and in private, and you're going to have the power of a loving relationship, Are you hearing me this morning? 
And therefore, and this is the fruit of righteousness, and therefore, if you do these things, if you take your position, subtract the pride, insert compassion, and have this powerful, loving relationship, you will make your character will be such that when we read these words about Jesus Christ who had the position and earned the position, it says this in Philippians chapter 2, it said, Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him a name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. This is not a situation where Jesus is earning it, he's proving it. And church, if we want to say that we are attached to Jesus Christ and his purpose we not only need to know what love is we need to start doing what love does in the back part of the book of John in the 21st chapter we have John telling a story about one of Jesus best friends named Peter now Peter was one of these guys that we talked about at the very end, at very begin. He was passionate. He was optimistic about what Jesus was, was going to do. He, when Jesus said he was going to die on the cross, he said, no, you're absolutely not going to die on the cross. You are going to establish your kingdom on earth. He was a loving and a disciple who really wanted to focus on what Jesus had in store. However, when Jesus went to the cross, we find Peter denying Christ three times. And in the back of the book of John, in John chapter 21, we have, we, we have this interaction between Peter and Jesus where Peter goes to the one thing that he knew, and that is fishing. And, and he, he, he starts to fry up some fish, and Jesus sits down next to him, and he says, do you love these fish more than me? And Peter goes, no, you're my brother. I, I love you a lot more than I love these fish. And then Jesus said, well, then feed my lambs. Don't, don't use this food that I'm generously giving to you to, to go into your tum- tummy. I, I don't, don't use that all on yourself. I want you to use that to feed my lambs. And then then he asks the question again, do you love me? And he says, yes, I love you like a brother. We're really close. And he said, then take care of my sheep. And then he asks him again, do you love me? And Peter starts to get annoyed at this point in time. And he says, of course, Lord, I love you. Then take care of my people. So often, we become so jaded and so sarcastic because of our experiences with people who may not have a full grasp on God's love. But that doesn't give us any excuse not to be the embodiment of his love ourselves. At this time, it's going to be our time of invitation.
And there are a few different things that we do at, at invitation time. We, there, in front of you, there are some go cards. And on those go cards, they're simply asking you to write down someone who you know that doesn't know the love of Jesus and to give you confidence to have an interaction with them this week that is loving. And so that you can, they can be one step forward in, to knowing who Jesus is. And if you want to write that person down, our staff prays for them throughout the week and just go ahead and put those in the baskets to the side over here. But maybe you're coming this morning and you're thinking, you know what, I've never really been loved that much. I've never really understood that. I've never really decided to put down my pride and insert compassion so that you can have a powerful and loving relationship with Jesus Christ. And if that's you, I want you to come this morning and Brad and I will talk to you about what it means to be a disciple of Jesus Christ and what it means to live your life overflowing in love. And some of you have been coming to this church for one or two weeks or, or months or years. And you have come here and you're just going, yes, I want to be a part of a church that makes new and growing disciples and you want to be a part of that. And if that's the case, come up at this time and Brad and I would love to chat with you. Will you stand as we sing our song of invitation?